Hebrews 13, uh, beginning at verse 7, and I'm going to read through verse 14, beginning at verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of the Lord, or the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for is it, a good, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Here in this chapter, chapter 13, we see many practical applications as the writer is coming to the close of this book, and we have looked at these in the first six verses, but here he comes and he begins uh, a kind of a new section here within the practical application, talking about those who are ministering to them, those ministers, leaders there in the church, and he actually mentions them three times in the remainder of this um, chapter. There in verse 7, remember them. And he says, follow them, follow their faith, and consider their end. He goes on in verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And then in verse 24, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. So there's some instructions given here. And I think really that what he says goes along with the theme of Hebrews. And I want you to see that today. Remember, the theme of this book is to remain faithful, to be faithful to the finished faith the faith that Jesus Christ has completed, there is nothing that we can add to our salvation. He has finished the faith, and we are to be faithful to that. And we've seen that theme throughout this book. Be faithful, be faithful, be steadfast, continue. And here, beginning in verse 7, <clears throat> he is talking about our steadfast adherence our steadfast adherence to the faith. Remember them which have the rule over you. That word remember means to deliberately call to mind or to set your mind on, to call to mind. In Hebrews 11, just a couple chapters back, Hebrews 11 and verse 15, 
speaking there of those saints who've gone on before, he says that they were looking for a country. Remember, Abraham's looking for a city not made with hands. They're by faith looking toward that eternal state. And he says of them in verse 15, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Now, you say, why do you bring up that verse? Because it's the same word, being mindful of, setting their mind on. Remember, he's talking about these, these Old Testament saints who were persevering. They were really looking toward the eternal state, not just what was happening here on the earth. Abraham was searching for a city not made with hands, whose builder and maker was God. And so it's talking about spiritual sight, looking forward to that which is to come after this earthly life. And here it says, if these people who were sojourning, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they wandered throughout the land that God promised them, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, if they'd had their minds set on that of the things of this earth, they would probably have gone back. Remember Abraham? God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and says, I want you to leave your family, your father's house, your kindred, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And he obeyed. He went. But had he been mindful of that which he left, he might have had opportunity to have returned. And the great illustration of that was the children of Israel. After they left Egypt, what did they do? Oh, they didn't have water, so they complained. Oh, they didn't have food, so they complained. Oh, we wish we were what? Back in Egypt. They were mindful of the leeks and the garlics and, and the food. And, and they didn't think about the, the slavery, which they'd been crying out to God for deliverance from. But what they do? They were longing for and mindful of the former country. And they wanted to return. Of course, we see that they were judged of God because of their rebellion and their lack of belief. They wandered for 40 years. But here, in this verse, call to mind. It's not that they had forgotten, but he wants them to think about this. He says, remember them which have the rule over you. And we think of rule, we think of you know, oppressive rule, we think of Pharaoh, and, but that word means the leadership. He's speaking about biblical leadership in the church. Remember them who are your leaders. Okay? And how were they leading? Well, it says here, what have they done? They have spoken unto you, or they have instructed you in what? The Word of God. Remember them. Now, from the context here, as you look at the wording and the tenses of the words, he's speaking about past leaders. And Hebrews was written a little bit later and probably referring to the apostles or the early leaders of the church, some of whom who had died. They're no longer with them, but he wants them to recall them, bring them to mind. What was their function? Well, again, they were speaking unto them the word of God. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Their authority really was derived from what? 
the authority of the leadership of the church is derived from the Word of God. Outside of the Word of God, the leadership of the church has no authority. Okay? As a pastor, I don't have the authority to come over to your house and say, listen, I think you should paint your house yellow. And, I, you know, I think you should take this job and not that job. That's, that's not, I don't have that kind of authority. No, my authority is really bound by what the Scripture says. And my job as a pastor and the leaders here in the church, their work was to do what? To instruct the people in the word of the Lord. I love that because I don't have to think of something creative to come and tell you every Sunday. Oh, what should I tell these people this week? It's already been given. You know, a pastor really is just a big plagiarizer. Now, what I mean by that, he's not going to tell you anything new. He's just repeating what God has already said. And so here are these leaders, and what was their job? To just instruct the people in the word of the Lord. And their rule or their authority was simply bound by what the Scripture says. And anyone who would go beyond that is to be avoided. The authority of any leadership in the church is derived from the word of God which they proclaim. But he says, remember them... And then he says this, consider, now I'm going to take this a little bit out of order. It depends on the translation you're looking at. It may be consider first, whose faith follow, whose faith follow, consider. But he says, I want you to consider them. To consider what? Consider the end of their conversation. Now remember, we talked about this. The word conversation means conduct or character your lifestyle. The Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness. We just looked at that in verse 5. Let your lifestyle, your character be without covetousness. And so here he says, I want you to consider the end of their conversation. How did they die? What was the end of their ministry? Consider. It was John Wesley said of the believers, he said, our people die well. That's quite a statement. Our people die well. Christians, those who follow Christ, well, we do. We know where we're going. We're at peace with God. We die well. Here he says, consider, pay attention with perception. Watch carefully. Observe accurately. Consider well. Another word, another passage that uses that terminology would be in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 23. Paul is there in Athens and he's at Mars Hill. And at Mars Hill in Athens, they had altars and temples to every god they could think of. And Paul said this in verse 22 of Acts chapter 17, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, that word right there, beheld, is the same word here to consider. Now, 
contexts are different, but I want you to see what did Paul do when he beheld or considered their devotions or their acts of worship. He says, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Let me introduce you to the God you don't know. Let me introduce you to the unknown God. Now, that's quite perceptive, isn't it? What was Paul doing? He was considering. He was looking at what these people were doing, and he thought about it and considered it. That's the same perception or the accurate observation that we're commanded to have here. He says, consider, consider the end. Look accurately at Pay attention with perception. Consider well the end of their conversation. Of course, there he says, whose faith follow. Whose faith follow. And that word follow, the word means to imitate. Imitate. Do the same thing. How do our children learn? It's early stages they're great imitators. And we have so much fun with babies in those early years. And, this, and, you, and you, you sit there and try to talk to them or you make songs. And what's really funny is to actually just watch the adult. Who's imitating who? You know, there. And, but babies, they imitate. They learn by imitation. They copy what they see. Human see, human do, right? No, it's, but uh, it's, they're learning by imitation. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, consider those who are your leaders, who have spoken and instructed you in the Word of God. Consider well their lives. Look at how they live. Look at the result of their teaching. Look at the result of their living. Did they live what they taught? And then he says, follow their faith. Imitate their faith. Follow their example. There are a couple other illustrations in Scripture verses in the New Testament where we see this principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He's talking about being an instructor, how he has taught them the gospel. And in verse 16, he says, Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. He says, watch me, follow or imitate what I am doing. In, in the same epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and it really should be chapter 10, verse 34, because the next verse, verse 2, starts his new topic. Of course, the chapters and verses weren't there in the original writings. What is Paul saying? He's talking about giving glory to God, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. There in 1031, give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they might be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of 
Christ. What is he saying? Whose faith follow? Was Paul a perfect example? No, but he says, follow me as I am following Christ. Whose faith follow or imitate? In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says to the Ephesian believers, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. What do children do? They imitate their parents. You can learn a lot about parents by just spending time with their children. Sometimes you'll learn more than the parents want you to learn. But, you know, children tend to be, or they represent their parents. Be ye therefore followers of God, imitators of God as dear children. In Philippians 3, 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So in other words, Paul tells the Ephesian believers, listen, follow me, imitate what I am doing. As I am following Christ, he goes, you imitate me and watch those and observe those, consider those who are what? Are walking after my example, who are walking so as you have us for an example. Speaking there of the apostles, they were the example, setting the pattern. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. What is that? That's considering the end of their conversation and imitating Paul's faith. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. They be not slothful. Slothful, but followers or imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. Endurance. That's what that patience is. Endurance. And also, we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7, one more reference here. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow or to imitate us, for we behaved ourselves, we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Again, Paul is saying, listen, you have the apostles here. We are setting an example. Imitate our faith. The writer of Hebrews, Remember them who have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Now, does that mean that just because a person is a, in a leadership position that everything they do ought to be imitated? No, certainly not. In fact, if you just go back two chapters to, the, to Hebrews 11, there are many men who are listed there and they all have in common their faith. That's kind of, we call it the chapter of faith. Some call it the hall of faith. Abraham is mentioned there. He's 
walking by faith. He's following the Lord. Did that mean that everything that Abraham did ought to be imitated? No. He lied about his wife a couple times and almost got her in some real trouble. Um, he, he, in a faithless act, took Hagar, the instruction of his wife, and he agreed to it and thought, well, maybe we can help God out because we're getting too old to have kids and he's promised he'll give us one, so maybe this is the way God will do it. Boy, did that create problems. How about Samson? David? Okay. Well, it's important to realize that not all of their behavior was imitable or not all of their behavior was to be followed, but what was to be followed? Their faith. Their faith. And God wants us to focus on that. Look at their faith. Samson. Man, what a guy. I mean, he was greatly used of God, but man, he had some real character flaws. But when you come to the end of his life, what did he do? He cried out to God, says, God, just give me strength once more. And God brought a great victory. He ended his life there in faith. And so here are these instructions. Remember, consider, and imitate the faith of those who are in leadership teaching and instructing you in the Word of God. But imitate their faith, not their faults, not their flaws, their faith. Now, even those in chapter 11, remember I just mentioned those in chapter 11, what does it say at the end of the chapter? It mentions David, it mentions Samson. You know, none of these men were perfect, but it says there at the end, well, in the beginning of the chapter, verse 2, it says, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. That meant the approval of God, the approbation of God. He approved of them. And then the very end of the chapter, And these all having obtained a good report through faith. God approved because, they're, because of their faith. And what does Hebrews tell us in verse 6? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? God is pleased when we walk by faith. And simply put, what is faith? It's believing God's Word which, of course, results in obedience to His Word. You can't separate the two. If you truly believe, it's evidenced. And that pleases God. That's what pleased God about Samson. Yes, there were many things in Samson's life that were not pleasing to God, but Samson there demonstrated faith. David, Abraham, even these men with their faults, exercised faith. And that's what is to be followed or to be imitated Faith. Now, the next verse, you look at this verse and you kind of wonder, how does this fit the flow? So many times this verse is just taken out. Now, when I, when I say taking, taken out of the context, it's quoted by itself. And yes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Yes, he is unchangeable. The Bible says he is immutable. But we need to consider this verse in the context of what is being, what is being said. Consider your leaders. But remember, men are inconsistent. Preachers and leaders in the church will change. Different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. But the gospel preaching must not ever change. God's revelation spoken to us through His Son as Hebrews started out, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Remember, God, who at sundry times and in His diverse manners has spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. He has spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. Not only that verse, but also chapter 2, verse 3. There's the warning. We ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? Here's verse 3. If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Okay. Here it is. God's revelation spoken through the Son has not ever changed, nor will it ever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, as it says in chapter 2, I mean, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He is the what? The author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We are to do what? To look unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the next verse, for what? For consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your minds. Look to Jesus. Don't just look, but consider. Accurately think. Look at the example we have in Christ. And who are the leaders in the church? Those who are leading following his example, his faith the faith of Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the object of the faith of those who led the church. He's the standard. And listen, the standard and the legitimacy of the authority of church leadership is centered in Christ. Centered in Him. And when you consider, you consider and you remember those who have the leadership, who have the rule over you, who speak unto you the word of the Lord, whose faith imitate considering what? The end of their conversation, the end of their lives, the results of their character. It ought to be compatible with what? 
with Christ. Consider him. Consider his conversation. Look at the end of his faith. The author and the finisher of our faith has not, nor ever will, change. This is the context in which we find verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, men are inconsistent. Preachers and leaders in the church are going to change over time. But their doctrine, their teaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not change. And the next verse logically follows. Look at the sequence here. Here's the application in verse 9. What does he say? He says, Do not or be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, strange teachings, diverse, varied, and strange foreign teachings. What does it mean to be carried away? Well, you just think about a stream. That's the idea there, being carried away by a stream. A little, little brook just runs, keeps running, and its leaves fall in, things fall in the stream, just carries them away. And if we're not rooted in truth, if we are not rooted in that which does not change, what happens when convincing and very articulate speakers and promoters of new doctrine come along? That kind of makes sense. Maybe I should give some consideration to this. Wait just a minute. It is easy for us to be carried away by various diverse and strange doctrines. And he says, do not do that. Do not be carried away. He goes on, he says, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats or food, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now, false teachings are varied. Theological perversions are quite diverse. And there have been a lot of heresies throughout the history of the church that have been dealt with, and still there are things that pop up. But here in particular, he mentions... This issue of food doesn't elaborate on it, but he does caution. He says, listen, be careful. The heart is to be established with grace, not food. And food has not profited them who have been occupied therein. Okay? Um, and the, the Bible has plenty to say about food. Remember there about clean and unclean things, and what did Jesus say? Listen, every creature is good. Remember Peter, sheep coming down in the book of Acts, and he's all concerned about eating something that was unclean? Poor Peter, there's bacon. I mean, how can you resist that? I mean, anyway, you know, he's concerned about foods, and you know, what did God say? He says, don't call that which God hath made unclean, because every creature is clean, and if it be received with thanksgiving, giving. Of course, God was 
teaching Peter and instructing him because he's getting ready to minister to unclean people in his own mind, the Gentiles. God was preparing him for that. But here there was a focus on foods. And you know what? God says, don't focus on food. He says that in Matthew chapter 6. He goes, that's what the Gentiles focus on. They're all concerned about what they're eating. He goes, you seek first the kingdom of God. Don't you be so worried about what you're eating. Okay? Now, that's just one illustration that he brings up there. There were many others. But his warning is, be careful. Theological perversions are many, and they're quite diverse. But they're strange. They're foreign. Remember my, my dad used to say, and I'm sure it was not original with him, but I don't, he didn't tell me who he was quoting, and I'm sure he probably didn't know who he got it from, but it was a little, a little maxim that he would say, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Okay? And there's a, there, there's a lot of truth to that statement. Let me go back and actually give you Credit for who really said that. It's back in Ecclesiastes. It was Solomon. Okay. So if you go back in your Old Testament and you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, the thing that hath been, it is which, that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Okay. <laughs> Saul says, you know, it may be packaged up a little differently. It may have a nice shiny bow on it, but it's the same as we've seen. Okay? Nothing new under the sun. Remember what Jesus said about temptation? Or there's no, Paul's speaking the word of God, but he says, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. They go, oh, no one's ever experienced the testing I'm going through or the temptations I. No, no you're not alone. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. But what's interesting is, especially in theological circles, what do theologians want to do? They want to come up with something what? New. Something fresh. Something that they can be quoted by. <laughs> So-and-so said, well, let me warn you about that because in Acts chapter 17, we were just there. Paul was there on Mars Hill. And of course, the Greeks, what were they famous for? Oh, philosophy. You know, Socrates, Socrates, you know, Galileo, Cicero, well, some of those are Roman, but you know, these philosophers who would just, you could listen to it and you'd be like, wow, what speech, such lofty language and such brilliance. And so these, these would uh, meet together there. And, and here in Acts chapter 17 and verse 19, it says they took him and brought him to Areopagus. This is Paul went there. There were the philosophers of the Epicureans, the Stoics, and they were wondering what Paul was going to say. It says, they, it says he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They've not heard this. Verse 19 says, And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know now what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? 
For thou bringest certain strange thing to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. And then it says this, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Ah, they wanted to hear something new. More philosophy, more opinions, and, and the more erudite it sounded, ah, the better it was. And so here, you know, there's a desire to say something new. The problem is, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, <clears throat> Peter gives warning, and he says this. He says, I am not going to be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. So talking about, he's talking about the gospel. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet or necessary as long as I am in this tabernacle or as long as I'm present in this body, in this life, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So what's Peter doing? He says, listen, folks, I am not telling you anything new. You've already heard this before. And as long as I'm alive, I think it is necessary for me to keep repeating to you this truth. Now, that's called faithfulness. You know, truly, <laughs> preachers are just plagiarizers. Now, it's not really a plagiarizer, but what am I telling you? I'm not telling you anything new. I am not telling you my opinion. My opinion has no more merit than yours. And we're not here sharing opinions. We're to hear, we're here to hear, thus saith the Lord. Because that's what matters. And this is one of the things when you go and try to find a new church, you listen and consider well what is being said. If the preacher is up there giving you his opinion, well, it's just as valid as yours. And you might just disagree with him. However, if he's speaking to you the words of God, then it's not his opinion, and your opinion about what he says doesn't matter. Because this is what God has said. It's the truth. You just better believe it. And this is what Peter said. I'm not telling you anything new. You, you have heard this, but you need to be reminded. I am not preaching a new message to you folks today. I mean, Hebrews was written a long time before I was born. I'm just telling you what it says. But what is my job as a pastor? To keep reminding you of the truth. I have nothing else to say from this pulpit. Now, we might sit down at lunch and talk about hunting. We might talk about Ukraine. We might talk about politics. We might even talk about COVID. Now, we're tired of COVID. But, you know, and, you know, and, and we can share opinions. And you know what? You may think you're a nut. And I may look at you and say, well, I think you're wrong. And that's all fine. When it comes to this, the word of God, this is not my opinion. I'm just a messenger passing along to you what God has said. 
the authority of what I say is backed up by who wrote it. This is the Word of God. It is not my opinion. And so therefore, if you don't like what's being said, don't complain to me. Talk to the author. And he'll set you straight. Okay? Now, so here, the application we see here. Listen, consider, think about, remember them who have ministered the Word of God. Look at their character. Look at the outcome of their faith. And imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, don't be drawn away. Don't be carried away with diverse, new, and strange, foreign teachings that aren't in the Scripture. Paul warned the Galatians back in chapter 1. He was so concerned about them. And in, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. You've been removed unto another gospel, a diverse false teaching, a theological aberration. This is not the truth. He says, he says which is not another gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. It's not of Jesus, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the gospel has not ever changed. It will not change. But here are people teaching you, and they're saying it's a gospel, but it's not another gospel. They are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he gives a great warning. He says, but though we are an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you that that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And you know what? There is an angel from heaven who tries to pervert the gospel. Who is he? Satan. Okay. And how does he try to pervert the gospel? Oh, he just twists it ever so slightly. Twists the Word of God. Oh, he knows the Word of God, and he bends it, and he perverts it. You know, when you fire a projectile out of a rifle, you aim at the, or you fire a bow, um, an, an arrow off of a bow. You aim at that bullseye. How far off do you have to be to miss it? Oh, you just you just twitch, or you jerk the trigger, or you suddenly you know, and you know what? You'll totally miss the target. Well, it wasn't off much. It was just a little bit. Okay, that's not the way the devil does it. He doesn't just pile a bunch of poison on your plate. No, he he sugarcoats it. Just gives you a little bit of poison. Okay? Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is instructing Timothy, young pastor, and he says this. 
He says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Just be careful. Some have turned aside from the faith. In verse 6, they've turned aside unto vain jangling. <laughs> Quite a term there. Vain jangling, just kind of distraction, false doctrine. Okay? And he describes them in verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. You know what they're talking about. They desire your attention. Beware. Now, here again is this instruction. Beware. Let me warn you, be careful. As believers, there is such a thing called dogma. Being dogmatic. Okay? Dogmatism. What is that? Well, you know what? As believers, there are some things that we are to be dogmatic about. Absolutely. We're not to just open up our minds and say, well, we're just neutral and coming here with no preconceived notions and I'll consider everything. No. Be on guard for false doctrine. Listen, we have the truth. The truth is given to us. It is God's word. And we are to test everything by the truth, the standard. Beware. Beware of new doctrine. Do not shift your mind into neutral with no presuppositions. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, Isaiah 8 and verse 20, it says this. <clears throat> says, to the law and to the testimony. Speaking of God's word. He says, if they speak, to, if, they, if they, whoever is speaking, he's talking about in the previous verse, those with wizards and familiar spirits, again, people who were destructive in their teaching. He says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. What's the test? What's the touchstone? What's the proof? It's right here. It's the word of God. And we judge everything by God's word. And listen, as believers, listen, if, if we are to adhere or hold fast to the faith, there must be dogma. There must be that which is unchanging bedrock doctrine. There must be a dogmatism, an unyielding stand for the faith. John chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, Jesus spoke of his doctrine. John 7, verses 16 and 17, <clears throat> Jesus said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. In the next verse, if any man will do his will, speaking of the Father, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Okay? If any man do his will, 
he will know whether what I'm saying is of myself or I am saying what God has given me to say. How do you know the doctrine? How do you know the truth? Do his will, and you will know the doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Paul says to the believers there, he says, Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable. Is that dogmatic or what? Yes, it is. Be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, the very last chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says this to the believers. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Stay away from those people. These who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which they had been taught. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if anyone varies from the doctrine and the gospel, he goes, you are to mark them. Know who they are. Identify them. Pastors, identify them to your people. Watch out for so-and-so. Watch out for thus and such. Beware and avoid them. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 14. The goal of the church, there is to be coming, come in the unity of the faith. In verse 14, he says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. No, we're to be solid, have our feet planted firmly on biblical doctrine so that we aren't just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul says this. He says, If any man teach otherwise, any man teach other, other than what? Other than the doctrine that he had taught them, that he'd received from the Lord. He says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of, he didn't say Paul, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. From such withdraw thyself. Listen, that, that, last, that last phrase, supposing that gain is godliness. Man, I hope you don't. But if you do see religious TV, oh my goodness. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be rich. You know, God wants the best for you. Therefore, a Cadillac is better than a Yugo. So you should have the Cadillac. Amen. 
I mean, that kind of garbage. I'm just serious. There are people out there peddling that kind of stuff. Listen, that's what he's talking about here. There are those who say, oh, yes, if you've got wealth and you must be godly, well, you know, there's a lot of godly men, uh, ungodly men out there that are super rich. Billionaires, does that mean they're godly? No. Was Paul a billionaire? No. Did Jesus live on this earth in a big, beautiful house, driving the latest model donkey, turbocharged? <laughs> no, it says the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. Okay? So equating gain with godliness is wrong. And he says here, and I says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a rich man. Man who's godly and content like Paul. Learned in all states whether I'm to be content. But he says, withdraw yourself from these people. Now, in conclusion, what's the writer's great concern? The writer here of Hebrews, his great concern is that these believers would adhere faithfully to the faith and not be dissuade from the truth, not be distracted from the gospel. And he's warning them, consider. He says, remember them that have the rule over you. Remember them who have taught you the word of the Lord. Imitate their faith and look at the result. Look at the end of their life. Look at their character. And imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, men will change, but the message must not. So therefore, do not be carried away by fancy talk, by perverse, by strange new doctrines, because the heart is not established through food. The heart is established through grace. And the warnings there other warnings in Scripture, avoid those people. They're causing division. Listen, let us faithfully adhere to the truth because the truth does not change. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, happy are you if you do it. Remember, the truth will set you free. By the truth and sell it not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. And Lord, as we go throughout our days, may we faithfully adhere to your word. Lord, to the faith. May we judge and test everything by your word. Lord, that we would walk by faith and in so doing, bring honor and glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.